But that's what Dr. Massey did here and what the trial court erroneously accepted, that the defined term, capital F, capital M, capital V, is either the same as lowercase fair market value, or otherwise requires one particular set of assumptions, one particular methodology, or excludes some other uh, set of assumptions or methodology that the appraiser here used. Is there some distinction between the fair market value at the minority level and the fair market value at the enterprise level that somehow fits into this question of ambiguity in your site? Your Honor, I, th I think on the question of, of ambiguity in terms of what is the value or what is the one and only one way that an appraisal can be done, yes. I, I think the fact that there are these differences in the two documents itself demonstrates that there's more than one way to skin a cat for an appraiser. And certainly the appraiser has to make choices. The appraiser has to make decisions about what to include, what not to include. Do I use the cost approach? Do I use the income? approach? Do I use the market approach? All three of which are included in these documents. Welcome to the Court of Appeals of Virginia podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ben Glass Law, a personal injury and long-term disability law firm with headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia. Listening to oral arguments is one of the best ways to both learn and stay abreast of the substantive and procedural aspects of practicing law in Virginia. By putting these public domain recordings into the form of a podcast, Ben Glass Law has made it easy for the public to access these recordings. All commentary that is not part of the actual court proceedings is that of the show sponsor. The next matter on our docket is Fredericksburg Ambulatory Surgery Center, LLC, versus C. Rosser Massey. I believe we have Mr. Buford for the appellant and Ms. Dank for the appellee. Did I pronounce that right? Dank. And Mr. Buford, would you like to reserve any time for rebuttal? Three minutes, please, Your Honor. Thank you. And whenever you're ready. Good morning, Your Honors. Uh, may it please the court again. John Buford here on behalf of Fredericksburg Ambulatory Surgery Center, LLC, the appellant in this matter. Your Honors, we are here because the the trial court improperly granted partial summary judgment in favor of the plaintiff, Dr. Massey, holding as a matter of law that an older document expressly stating on almost every page that it was a preliminary draft appraisal applied to the relevant valuation instead of a more recent final appraisal from 2017, and in doing so, ignoring the plain language of the operating agreement that delegated the valuation determination to an appraiser. That was erroneous because the operating agreement, number one, delegation directly to the appraiser. Number two, does not unambiguously require any one particular methodology or set of assumptions in performing that appraisal, nor does it unambiguously preclude any particular methodology or set of assumptions. And it's also erroneous because it's making what is essentially a factual determination that one document is the most recent appraisal. Before Am I the correct that, excuse Sorry, me, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm correct that the issue here really is what is the fair market value of the company, or an issue? Your Honor, the question is, what is the fair market value as a defined term, capital F, capital M, capital yes. V, within the operating agreement, not the question of whether Generally, what economists or anybody else might argue is FMV. Okay. Um, because it's a defined term, we have to look to the agreement. And the ambiguity question is important for summary judgment purposes, because it is theoretically possible to obtain summary judgment 
judgment on a contract claim where the instrument is unambiguous. However, the court is not permitted to grant summary judgment on an ambiguous instrument because you have to receive extrinsic evidence. So if we look at the contract itself, this amended restated operating agreement, we've got a number of defined terms that guide this analysis. We've got the defined term appraised value, capital A, capital V, in section 9.6C. The dollar amount equal to the product obtained by multiplying A, the percentage membership interest owned by a member, by B, the fair market value, capital F, capital M, capital V, of the company as determined below. Fair market value, again, capital F, M, V. It's a defined term, not the economic term of art. That term is further elucidated in other portions of section 9.6. 9.6C, if less than five years have elapsed since the last appraisal date, another defined term, capital L, capital A, capital D, then capital MV shall be equal to the capital FMV determination made on the last appraisal date multiplied by an adjustment for inflation. So it's a little bit circular in 9.6C, FMV equals FMV on the last appraisal date, but it's always capitalized. So we're still dealing with this defined term. So we look to last appraisal date, which is defined in 9.6E, the effective date of the most recent appraisal prior to the withdrawal event, and everybody agrees that the withdrawal event is effective 5118, <clears throat> prior to the withdrawal event of the value of the company as obtained by the company. Now note in 9.6E, the most recent appraisal of the value of the company, value there is a lowercase, it's lowercase v, so that's not a defined term, and it's not lowercase fair market value, it's not lowercase fair value, and those themselves are two distinct terms in economics, it's just value. So, so how does the company go about obtaining this appraisal? The context for that is in 9.6D, and 9.6D says the company shall obtain an appraisal of the company, and the fair market value, capital FMV, shall be the amount determined by such appraiser engaged by the company. So the only way you get a capital FMV fair market value, once the company's more than five years old, is to get an appraisal. And the capital FMV fair market value shall be the amount determined by the appraiser engaged by the company. And once you get that appraisal, it's good for five years, or if the company gets a newer appraisal. The delegation evaluation determination to the appraiser, that is unambiguous. That is, if anything is unambiguous about this contract, that is what makes it unambiguous. If the question is, what is the value of the company? Well, then that's officially a, a fact issue. And we've cited a number of cases that, that value is it's not an exact science. It has inherent vagaries. We've had the description of it as an elusive pimpernel, which I, I just love saying out loud. But it's not the case here. You don't have to reach the determination about what is the true value of the company, because there is no one true value of a company. It's always dependent on assumptions. It's dependent on methodologies. When you engage an appraiser, it's dependent on assumptions and analysis and professional judgment of the appraiser. We don't have to get there because we've got this defined term, capital F, capital MV, capital V, fair market value is the value determined by the appraiser. And our Supreme Court has said you can't transform a mutually agreed defined term into an undefined term by adding words to it. We've cited the Bentley funding case. Uh, that was a case where there was a defined term, capital P, property. And there was a list of five or six things within that definition of property. And the party, the party suing was arguing for an interpretation uh, of the term capital P property that would include a couple of other terms like project and escrows, things like that, that weren't in that list. And the Supreme Court said that was improper. If it's what the contract says the definition is, that, that's the extent of the definition. But that 
that's what Dr. Massey did here and what the trial court erroneously accepted, that the defined term, capital F, capital M, capital V, is either the same as lowercase fair market value or otherwise requires one particular set of assumptions, one particular methodology, or excludes some other uh, set of assumptions or methodology that the appraiser here used. Is there some distinction between the fair market value at the minority level and the fair market value at the enterprise level that somehow fits into this question of ambiguity in your site? Your Honor, I, th I think on the question of, of ambiguity in terms of what is the value or what is the one and only one way that an appraisal can be done, yes. This podcast is brought to you by Ben Glass Law, a statewide leader in the personal injury field. We help the injured and disabled make great decisions about their legal situations. Visit our website at benglasslaw.com or call us at 703-591-9829 for more information and a free evaluation of your case. I think the fact that there are these differences in the two documents itself demonstrates that there's more than one way to skin a cat for an appraiser. And certainly the appraiser has to make choices. The appraiser has to make decisions about what to include, what not to include. Do I use the cost approach? Do I use the income approach? Do I use the market approach? All three of which are included in these documents. And once I arrive at those three determinations, how do I weight them? Do I use 100% of the cost approach, which is a very low value for a company like this? Do I use 100% of the income approach? Do I use some blended percentage of these different approaches? If so, what are those percentages? Well, couldn't the appraiser have done that either cost approach, market approach, sales approach, and applied it to the enterprise level or the minority level? Your Honor, I think it's possible for the appraiser to have made any number of choices, including those choices. Yes, sir. I, I don't think there's any one requirement, any one prohibition, anything like that. The, those are all among the choices in 120 plus. Why that's different than looking at this as a valuation of the company as a whole as opposed to valuation of the company at the discounted level for a member? Your Honor, I think the question of once we get to the question of what is the methodology, I think we're past summary judgment at that point the, because the interpretational question and the only basis there is for summary judgment would be if the operating agreement itself required a particular methodology. So this issue regarding minority level, enterprise level, that's the issue of methodology in your mind? It is, Your Honor. Absolutely. It's that, that capital F, capital M, capital V, the effect of that is to create a binding appraisal provision. We've cited cases in the brief that, that when there is an appraisal provision in a contract, and you see this in insurance, you see this in a number of contexts, but you also see it in this contract. Context, that, that creates a binding outcome to that, whatever that conclusion is. We know it's binding because we've got two shalls in there. We've got the company shall obtain an appraisal of the company, and the capital F, capital M, capital V shall be the amount determined by such appraiser engaged by the company. So the amount that goes into the calculation of the redemption value, it's mandatory that it is amount determined by the appraiser. That's it. That delegation, again, is the only thing that makes this contract unambiguous. Again, if we get into what's the right methodology, what's the wrong methodology, which 17 assumptions should we use and which 12 assumptions should we exclude, then we're into territory of ambiguity. The agreement is completely silent on methodology. And again, summary judgment's inappropriate where the contract is ambiguous. So if there, if there is some requirement in the contract for any particular methodology, the contract itself doesn't say what that is. And so you would need to look to extrinsic evidence at that point. Would also like to point out, Your Honors, just as a, a procedural matter, in addition to the interpretational 
question. To the extent there are facts at issue here, the, the question on summary judgment is whether the pleadings and admissions, et cetera, entitle the movement to judgment as a matter of law. We've cited authority that denial of material facts in a pleading is itself sufficient to avoid summary judgment. We've cited several cases on that. And so that on the fact issue of which document is the most recent appraisal prior to the redemption date, we've denied paragraphs in the complaint. Point you to paragraphs 34, 35, 38 of the complaint, for example, which generally allege that the 2016 appraisal was the most recent valuation. We denied a host of requests for admission. I would commend to you basically beginning about page 1000, 1001 of the record, word for several pages. There's a very thorough set of RFAs that were propounded, and we denied the material ones. Back to denials of legal interpretation. Then you wouldn't need them for summary judgment anyway because you ought to just be looking at the contract. But to the extent it's argued that there are facts in here that are undisputed on these issues, we have sufficiently denied those. Your Honor, I'm into my rebuttal time, and so I'll reserve the balance. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. May it please the Court. Jeanne P. Donk, Counsel for Appalee, C. Rosser Massey III, M.D., here and after Dr. Massey. The trial court was correct. The operating agreement unambiguously requires evaluation of the value of the company. Counsel, you are relying on the 2016 document. Correct. What is the effect of the notation on that document, the two notations, one saying it's a draft, the other saying it's a work in progress, essentially? That was distributed to all of the membership of FASC and relied upon by all of the members of the FASC, never withdrawn, never pulled back. And that is a valuation of the company. Between that and the 2017 appraisal, which was done just a mere eight months later, is that the 2017 appraisal is of the minority level, meaning they're valuing just the individual shares of the company. Eight months later, the difference between a valuation of the full company and a valuation of the minority level or the shares, individual shares of these minority owners, is a difference of six. And the only explanation between these two appraisals for that $16 million drop in eight months is that the appellant, ASC, asked the appraiser to do a different appraisal, appraise something different. Nowhere in the operating agreement does it say that they can do an appraisal of something other than the full company, the entire company, all the assets of the company. And that's exactly what FASC did eight months later in 2017. They valued just one particular aspect of the company. How about setting aside the 2017 document, the document that you rely on, what would be there to prevent expert testimony? Considering the fact it's a draft not to be relied on, why couldn't either party present expert testimony about the conclusions? Your Honor, you wouldn't need to because that is the only appraisal that's out there of the company. FASC never got another one. They never offered another one. And there's nothing in the operating agreement that says you can't use that 2016 appraisal. All 9.6 says, and this is a document drafted by, this 
is FAA's document. But, it, but it's a draft. But they never pulled it back. They wanted to use it. They wanted that to be the value of the company. They never, never mind, we're not using that. There's nothing in the operating agreement anywhere, 9.6 or any other paragraph that says you can't rely on a draft. It simply says an appraisal of the company, and that's what 2016 was, an appraisal of the company. Thank you. And you're saying that 2017 appraisal was not an appraisal of the company because Correct. it indicated the minority level. Yes, it was on a discounted level, and there's nothing in the operating agreement, 9.6 or anywhere else that says FASC, one, gets to pick any appraisal they want, two, that the appraiser gets to use anything they want. It's a valuation of the company. As in the Patel case cited in our brief, that had to be a valuation of the company of all of the assets of the company. A minority shareholder company, obviously, are of lesser value than the entire company. Understanding the distinction between minority level and enterprise level is important in understanding whether or not which mm -hmm. evaluation should be the appropriate one. Yes, sir. That's correct. That's what we believe. Now, the, the Patel case, which is the Oregon case, is yes. a little bit different because that doesn't talk about the fair market value. That talks about the level of compensation it's entitled to, isn't it? Your Honor, with all due respect, I think it does talk about the fair market value. It addresses the value of all of the assets of the company in order to determine a shareholder's interest or value in the company. Okay. Thank you. I've said the 2006 appraisal of the entire company, FASC never offered anything else, and there's no prohibition on using that. The 2017 appraisal was not an appraisal of the company. It was an appraisal of something else, a discounted value. The 2016 appraisal determined Dr. Massey's value or interest in the company. Once the trial court found that the operating agreement required that the use of the 2016 appraisal, all that was left then was to determine the value, the dollar value of Dr. Massey's percentage of ownership interest in FASC or the company. FASC has no quarrel with the trial court's math in this matter, only which appraisal to use. No objection was made by FASC to the final judgment except that FASC thinks incorrectly that the 2017 appraisal should be used, and there's no basis for that. Do you agree that this section 9.6 subsection D, which makes reference to this fair market value, it doesn't clearly indicate whether it is referring to fair market value at the minority level or fair market value at the enterprise level, which would make that particular paragraph ambiguous, which then means that this was not a matter that was appropriate for summary judgment. Your Honor, I couldn't disagree more. This is a document that the appellate drafted. This is their document. They're arguing their own document is ambiguous in some parts and not ambiguous in other parts. You can't have that. And 9.6D doesn't say that. The cherry picking and the combination of putting together various phrases from the various parts, as counsel for appellate said, quote, it's somewhat circular, close quote. Somewhat circular isn't good enough when you apply the plain language meaning to this entire document and particularly 9.6A, which is the controlling provision here. And that defines the fair market value in capitals. The fact that FASC now wants to argue that their document is ambiguous just on this one point, I think, is nonsensical. Fair market value of the company means fair market value of the company. The company would mean the whole company. The whole company, every aspect of it. Anything else is less and is not what is defined in the operating agreement. Ultimately, FASC wants to pay Dr. Massey a fraction of what he is owed 
by arguing that the very document, the operating agreement that FASC prepared, is ambiguous. The operating agreement is not ambiguous. The trial court applied the plain language meaning and it's FASC's duty to pay Dr. Massey his percentage ownership of the company and not some discounted amount as they now seek to do. The trial court recognized this and the order of the trial court should be affirmed. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Mr. Buchholz, you have two minutes and 42 seconds. Thank you, Your Honor. Very briefly, just a couple points in terms of whether, whether FASC is allowed or not allowed to go get another appraisal. The mechanism within 9.6, I think, expressly contemplates FASC getting another appraisal. The term in there that an appraisal is good for five years unless the company obtains a more recent appraisal, that itself expressly contemplates that FASC can go get another appraisal. FASC could go get a new appraisal every day if it wanted to, limited only by its willingness to spend the money on appraisers. So there's no limitation on FASC's ability to get a new appraisal for a different purpose, for a redemption purpose versus the 2016 in the context of a proposed merger and acquisition transaction. As for the cases, the Patel case that the council cited from Oregon, I would commend to you other cases that we had cited in our reply. There is no hard and fast rule as a matter of law that a discounted analysis is inappropriate in this context. We had cited the Cinco Hombres case from Arizona where very similarly the operating agreement did not specify a methodology for valuing an interest and the Arizona Court of Appeals said, and it was delegated to an appraiser, and the Court of Appeals said the proper methodology to use in determining that interest, including the appropriateness of a discount, was left to the appraiser. And would also cite to you the Wall v. Bryan case from Louisiana. That was specifically dealing with an ambulatory surgery center. The court said there's no legal rule one way or the other on applying discounts, but it is actually the industry standard for both minority and marketability discounts to be applied to ASCs. So for whatever those cases are worth outside our commonwealth, they are a mixed bag and there's no hard and fast rule you can draw from any of that. Again, thank you for your time. We urge you to reverse. Thank you. And thank you. Hey, this is Ben Glass just butting in here. If you like these recordings, you're going to also want to subscribe to the Supreme Court of Virginia Oral Argument Podcast. And I've got one more for you. If you're an attorney, and particularly if you're a law firm owner, go over and listen to the Renegade Lawyer Podcast, where we talk about having a great life and building that life through the vehicle of a law firm. Check us out and have a great day. The proceeding has been a production of Ben Glass Law, a Fairfax, Virginia-based personal injury and long-term disability law firm. For a free evaluation of your claim, visit us at benglasslaw.com or call us at 703-591-9829.